So last week we began a new series on the key to abiding joy. And just as a reminder, we're being given this advice from, um, from the Apostle Paul while the Apostle Paul is in, imprisoned. He's been imprisoned and he could be awaiting death. And from this, this man, 2,000 years ago, we're being told about joy and to have joy. And so we talked last week about, you know, the key for, for Paul, what, you know, why he could have joy. And, you know, part of it had to do with the partnership he had with other Christians and, and knowing that, that they were there to support him in, in the good times and the bad. And part of it had to do with um, the spiritual maturity of his Christian brothers and sisters. And part of it had to do with just that he knew, he, he knew that God was going to be faithful to complete the work that he had started in the Philippians. And that, that, that's it's really kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of a, a, like a, if we understand the context, it's a powerful statement. That, that he knows like whether he's ever going to be released, whether he's ever going to ever see them face to face, if he's, if, even if he never gets to invest in their lives again, that, that he, is, he is just convinced that God is going to finish the work in them. Which tells us something. It tells us something about Paul's ministry, it tells us something about why Paul had joy. And it's a lesson that I kind of wish I had learned when I was much younger. I kind of got it a little bit later. But when I was younger, like, you know, I, I didn't really get this. And, and the lesson was that, that it's, it's not my job to make sure you or anyone else I'm ministering to that, that you grow. It's not my job. It's not my responsibility. I've been entrusted with, with just the time to, to, to kind of come alongside and, and just like people have come alongside me in my life, that I've been entrusted with that for a time. But this is the work that God is doing. It's the work that God is doing in us. And so today, we, you know, we're going to look at this, this second piece of joy, where the source of joy, and it's the joy in the gospel. You know, we've been singing about the gospel today. But, I, be, but before we do that, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, we went back and we made sure we got that first, that first part. Because I think it's, it's, it's a missing part in some of our lives. And it's missing for different reasons. For some of us, the reason we don't necessarily have joy in, in seeing the spiritual growth of others is because we're either not paying attention or sometimes it's a sign of being a little bit jealous. We don't find joy when we hear about other Christians, other believers, especially people that we, we kind of compare ourselves to. And... And, and we, we always want to kind of explain a way why they may be growing or 
be more mature because it kind of makes us feel better. You know, I, I, you know, I grew up in a pastor's house, so, you know, I, I, I've been around church all, all my life, and, and, you know, if a, if a new church came into the area and suddenly was, you know, growing numerically, you know, the existing pastors and churches would kind of all say the same thing, like, yeah, but they're, they're doing this or they're doing that, you know. It's always something else because they had been in that same place for so long and hadn't seen results. There wasn't joy in knowing that the gospel's being proclaimed. You know, sometimes we don't find joy in partnerships because we're not partnering with anybody. We're, we're, not, we're not working together. Um, we're not out there doing things where we are, are asking people to, to at least pray for us and support us in whatever ministry that we're doing. And of course, there's this this not necessarily seeing or investing in people's lives and wanting to see that, that good work happen. That verse, he who began a good work in you, is actually a, a song. And we did this like, uh, I don't know, a few months ago when, when I was here. I had the ukulele up here and, and they sang the song for you. And I invited you to sing it and you guys at least... You were moving your lips, so I'm assuming you were singing, which means you kind of know this song. But see, here was the thing back then that I didn't really think about that I think about now. When you see this song, when you hear this song, when you sing this song, who are you thinking of? Who are you thinking of? You said, he who began a good work in you Paul was thinking of the Philippians when he wrote it. He was thinking about Lydia. He was thinking about everyone in her house. He was thinking about all the people he had, he had shared time with that, that he had invested in their lives and they had invested in his. He was thinking about them when, this, when he wrote these words. Who are you thinking about? Who is the Christian brother or sister or Christian brothers and sisters that when you think about what God is doing in their lives, the spiritual maturity, the spiritual growth, how God is using them, that that in and of itself is encouraging to you and you are confident that God's going to finish it. You want the kind of joy Paul has? You need these kind of people in your life. Some of them are going to be older than you, older than you in just chronological age, but also more mature than you spiritually. Some of them, they're, they're babies. Babies in the Lord. Others are kind of walking alongside just about where you are and same part of life. But, but who is it? I want you to take a second to actually think about those people in your life that you can say this about. I want you to think about it. And if you're the kind of person who takes notes, write it down. Put, put the words back up. 
I don't know if you guys uh, can do this, but we'll try. I'm going to start in the key of whatever. Okay? Let's, let's try and sing this. But as we sing it, I want you to think of that person. If you want it to be really awkward, look at the person if they happen to be here. But um, if you don't want it to be awkward, just kind of start off into space. Ready? He who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Will be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. I did that with my wife and David Bolin here. And both of them, I hope they didn't cringe as I probably sang in three different keys. But here's, the, here's, here's what I want you to do if you feel that you can do this. The person you're thinking about, send them that note. Send them that note. Help them know that, that their spiritual life, their spiritual growth is a source of joy in your life. Well, this week we go to the joy in the gospel. And, and here we, again, we, we find that, you know, how Paul is so different from the world. Because in the world, you know, a lot of times we lose our joy because we compare ourselves to other people. You know, when I used to teach at the seminary, every year at the end of the, at the, end of the year, there would, there would, they would choose like the one preaching student. Who would, who would get to preach a sermon in chapel. I guarantee you there was more sinning going on during that chapel service than any other time about how many people, you know, how many students were like, you know, I don't know why they chose him. I could have done a better job. <laughs> Instead of just rejoicing that the word is being proclaimed, we compare ourselves, and when we do that, we, we steal our, our joy. You know, you, you've heard this before, and it's partly true that, that one of the, the, the things that we can do to kind of move through life is not try to be somebody else, but be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And as Christians, I'd like to, to change that a little bit. It's not be the best version that you can be, not the best version of yourself that you can be, but the best version of yourself that Christ can make you. That's what you should be concerned about. But when we spend all of our time comparing ourselves to one another, we lose joy. And here's Paul. Paul, who, who in some people's eyes looks kind of like a failure. Yeah, sure, he, he had his time. Sure, he went on his missionary journey, started some churches, but, but now, uh, not so much. And here he is imprisoned, giving what could be his last words and talking about joy. And part of it is because he's not, he's not wasting energy comparing himself to others. Well, let's look at this. Philippians 1 
verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's giving this report. He's talking about his situation. Be honest. If you were doing this, would you write this? Or would you be like, man... They don't have the best cable TV channels. The Wi-Fi is bad. You know, it's cold. It's too hot. You know, I wish I could just get out and stretch my legs. We would give a report. But would it be a report like this? I don't know. He doesn't really tell us much about what's going on and the hardships that he's facing. You see, his true joy, it comes because his focus is on the gospel, not on his suffering. His focus is on the gospel and the gospel being proclaimed and the gospel advancing, not on his suffering. It's kind of amazing. He's, he has this joy, but he has this joy because First of all, he knows what the gospel did in his life. He knows how he went from this kind of hateful, angry person to be transformed into someone who could love like only God could love. He went from the person who thought enemies needed to be eliminated to someone who would write, bless those who persecute you. He knew and he knew that was way better. He knew what it meant to not just see Jesus, but to walk with Jesus. But more than that, even beyond just what the gospel had done for him and what he had experienced, he saw what the gospel was doing in other people's lives, in the church, and Paul understood what would happen if, if this gospel just took over entire societies. He understood God's kingdom plan. And he understood so much of it hinged on the gospel. The faster, the more we can get the gospel out there the more people's lives will be changed. The more their lives are changed, the more that, that they will come together as God's people. And the more that that happens, the better our world is. You want to end suffering? Proclaim the gospel in such a way that people's lives are changed that now they will do what Jesus would do in the midst of suffering. And they'll do it together. This wasn't just because he had experienced things. That was great. But it was more than that. He understood God's, God's purpose. And notice he's, he's so other-centered. He's like, you know why this happened to me? So the gospel could be advanced. And it's almost like he's kind of happy about it. 
the Praetorium Guard. If, if Paul's where we think he is in Rome, then this Praetorium Guard is up to 9,000 people. 9,000. And that's just the soldiers themselves. That's not everyone else who would be associated with them. And then he talks about the brothers. He's talking about people, other Christians who are, who are becoming more confident, more confident to proclaim the gospel. They, they see that, hey, our leader, he, he, he's been taken out of action. Oh, we're not just going to go home and hide and cry. That's what the, that's what the disciples did, right? right? When Jesus died, they, they went home and hid. But notice, this is different. No, they, they step up. He's, he's, ex, he's happy, he's excited. And again, it's because he really knows the gospel. He knows the experience he's had with the gospel. And he knows that it's, it's the hope for the world. He knows that it's, it's this treasure that God has given us. And he has such a high view of the gospel, not just because it's true. It is true. But also because he knows this truth through what he has experienced. Why, why would he ever think any price was too high? Why would, why would he not get excited no matter no matter what was going on you know i i didn't win a lot of races when i when i ran but i can tell you the races that i did win i didn't feel as tired as the races that i didn't win there's something about when you're you know when when you when you win or when you think you're winning it, it helps you, like, focus, like, whatever pain is there and sometimes even push it on the side. Here's Paul. He should be miserable. He should be suffering. He should be thinking about, you know, woe is me. But he, he values and he treasures the gospel so much. And it doesn't matter. There is no price too high. Well, you might think like, you know, Paul, you're kind of like got those rose-colored glasses on. You're not looking at the real world. Maybe you've been imprisoned too long. Well, let's look at the next verse in verse 15. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rival, um, rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. Thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Before you know, we get into the details, what we see is he, he has joy. He has joy because, 
because people have stood up. They've, they've taken up the slack. They're standing in the gap. They're doing the ministry he can't do. And it's awesome. And so he rejoices. You know, there, there's certain like people that get kind of like, um, you know, they, they get so competitive, they get so upset, or they think they have to do everything. And, and I remember it was, uh, Cheryl used to work at a church on the mainland, pretty big church, a couple thousand people. And uh, the pastor who was there when she, when she first started had been there for, I don't know how many years. He's the one that was largely responsible for its growth and all of that. And I remember um, talking with him one day, just sitting in his office, and, and, and he was one of the first pastors I ever heard say this. He may have been the first and maybe the only. But, but he, he said, you know, we have a lot of people who believe they're part of this church and are part of this church, but we never see them on Sunday because they're serving somewhere else. And I thought about that, and I thought about how many pastors in my, in, in my lifetime, and maybe how I might have felt this at certain times, would not have been happy about that. They, they, they would feel kind of bad about it, like, like, oh, you know what, you can't serve here? You know, we've got stuff here. Why can't you do it here? And, and I realized kind of what he was saying. I mean, there was a part of him that I'm sure would have been happy for them to be there. But he was also happy to play whatever part he needed to play in their lives so that they could work for the greater kingdom purposes. I'm, I'm kind of that way too. I mean, if you come to me and say something like this, which someone once said to me a long time ago when we were at a our church in Eva Beach, which was really small. We didn't have any money. We didn't have, uh, we didn't any, have any full-time paid staff. And, and I remember this uh, person came and told me that, you know, they were leaving the church, this young couple, because they didn't feel there was anywhere they were needed in the church. Now, if you tell me that, I may get a little angry at you, okay? What, because there's obviously needs here. If you tell me, like, you know, uh, I want to learn more about the Bible, so that's why I go to Bible studies outside the church. Now, I might be a little, little upset about that, okay? Because I happen to think we have some really good Bible studies and Bible teaching here. However, I also know that we can't be all things to all people. And I know that sometimes other churches do things better than we do them, and it's okay. You know, there's some churches that are really good at, at front door stuff. They can get people to come in the front door. And maybe we're not as good about front door stuff. All right. But maybe what we do better is once you get in the front door, you know, certain rooms of the house that we're a little better at. I'm okay with that. Oh, I would love to be all things to all people. I would love to have the resources and opportunities to do everything that I think that we should do. But I understand that that's not how it always works. 
that sometimes other people got to stand in and do what, what I can't do or what we can't do. It's not an excuse. It's just reality. It's truth. And I have the attitude that if you're, if you're being helped, if you're being blessed, if you're serving and blessing others, I'm happy for you. If you're running away, okay, not so happy. If you're just looking for something to make you happy, or you're just looking for something to make your kids happy, hmm, I'm not going to rejoice. But if being participating in other ministries is helping you grow in your faith, why would I not rejoice? If it's helping you serve others, why, why would I not rejoice? I'm going to rejoice. That's Paul. Paul's figured that out. He's like, okay. Awesome. I can't be the guy out there. I can't, I can't be the one saying everything. I can't be the, the guy who's going. But God's raising up others who can. It's awesome. But you, but you also saw this other thing. You saw this thing where he says, some are doing this out of selfish ambition or envy and rivalry. And then the worst thing he says is that they're sharing the gospel to afflict Paul. In other words, they're doing something where they're comparing themselves to Paul and saying, see what we're doing and see what Paul's doing. They're using their, the sharing of the gospel to discredit Paul's ministry. Even then, it's so Amazing. Even then, Paul's like, it's all right. That's all right. You know why it's all right? Because the gospel is being proclaimed. Notice, Paul doesn't want them to do that. If Paul had an opportunity, he would probably try gently to reconcile and then maybe not so gently reconcile. Okay? We know that. But he also knows this, that even though they're, they might be doing this for selfish reasons, it's still dangerous to share the gospel. And they're doing it. They're still willing to do something that maybe a lot of his friends aren't willing to do. Maybe a lot of his friends who have benefited from what he's done and, and that he's poured his life into and, and all of that, they're not willing to go out and share the gospel. And at least these people are, even if the motivation is wrong. What, what does Paul want ideally? He wants people to share the truth of the gospel from pure hearts. That's what he wants. But he's okay if you share the truth of the gospel with wrong motivations. What Paul would not have been okay with. And I think we get this confused sometimes. Paul would not have been okay with proclaiming something false, even with the purest of intentions. 
Sometimes in the church, we, we, we allow somebody to teach something that's wrong because, you know, they're nice. And they mean well. Paul's like, no. The truth that's proclaimed, that's what matters. And again, it's not that he wants people to be walking around with selfishness and selfish ambition and, and all of this stuff. He, he clearly doesn't want that. But when it comes to teaching, when it comes to proclamation, truth from an ugly heart is better than falseness from the most beautiful. We, we see this sometimes in, in music, Christian music. There is some beautiful Christian music that is just wrong. It is just so wrong theologically. It is so not scriptural, but it is beautiful. And then we have some, and I think I could probably get an amen from Cheryl and David, some very hideous musical, you know, music. The words, they're truth. Their words are dead on. Paul says, get the message right. You get it right? Even though I would rather you not be doing it with the wrong attitude, it's all right. At least you're proclaiming truth. See, this is Paul's attitude. This is where we, we see that what joy is doing. He's imprisoned. He's facing death. But more people are stepping up. More people that might not have stepped up because they thought, Paul will take care of it. Paul's doing that. He's got that group, Timothy and Silas and Luke and all those guys. And, and then there's that other team, you know, Barnabas and John Mark. And, and, and somebody else is doing it. So they might not have ever done anything. But when they realize Paul's imprisoned and he's been there for at least two years, maybe up to four years, and he may never get out, more and more people are saying, Paul might not be able to do it. We need to do it. We need to step up. We need to learn how to, who, to spread the gospel. We need to know how to plant churches. We need to do this instead of just waiting for our leaders or someone else to do it. And it's almost like Paul, in a sense, is saying this. If this is what it takes, if it takes my imprisonment, if it takes my suffering, if it takes my death to empower people in the church to step up and do what they could have always done through the power of Jesus Christ, then so be it. I'm good with it. It's pretty amazing. Again, I've told you before, I don't compare myself to Jesus because I think Jesus has an unfair advantage of being the Son of God. I can't even compare myself to Paul. I mean, I would like to be able to say, I, I'm just like that. I'm not sure. But here's Paul. Paul, willing to sacrifice everything, willing to suffer, if it means 
more people will step up and spread the gospel, even if some of them do it for bad reasons. And then we see this last verse. What then? What then? These people want to afflict me? And you got to think, when he's reading, when this is being read, remember, everybody at Philippi, these are Paul's friends. They look at Paul as like a spiritual father or brother, and now he's suffering. So you got you to imagine, when this is being read, I don't know if, if the, the first guy reading it is doing a cold read, like he's never read the letter before, he's just reading it. And if he's doing a cold read, that as he's coming to this, he, he must have like said, when it said, you know, mo most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word, word without fear. He must have been really excited. And then he goes, some indeed preach Christ from envy and, and rivalry. And you got to think, this, this group, they're not happy. They are not happy. They're like, what? And then he, he keeps going back and forth. But when he finally says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. People, you know, I'm sure the guy reading it might not have, if he didn't read on, he might have gotten like really angry, like thinking Paul wrote this angrily. Like, how dare they do this? They're, they're doing it. Oh, well, you know, I can't wait for what Paul's going to say next because he's probably going to do something like, you know, locusts or, you know, lightning from the sky to strike these guys dead. Or, or maybe he's going to send us out to go stop those guys. You know, what is Paul going to say next? And what Paul says next is, what then? What then? Know the emotions that are running through the people. Their hero and these people that are trying to take advantage of his situation. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, if our churches were filled with people who had more joy, this true abiding joy, we would have a lot fewer arguments that we have about the different ways we do things. Now, Make no mistake, if someone is preaching something false, if someone is teaching or proclaiming something false, uh, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't just say, hey, they're different from us, it's okay. No, it's wrong. And it should be called out as wrong. But if someone is preaching the same truth, if someone is teaching the same truth, and they're doing it in a way that's different from the way we do it, we should rejoice. If some of them want to do it with a big choir and a pipe 
organ, awesome. Praise God. If someone, if someone would do it a cappella, quiet, like Church of Christ, never use a musical instrument, praise God. Rejoice. If someone would do it with a worship team, praise God. In every way, except if it's country music. That's the only... No, I, I, made, I made that up. Even country, even country. Doesn't matter. We rejoice because Christ is proclaimed. If the pastor's wearing a suit, the pastor's wearing shorts and a polo, it's okay. If it's happening in a building, if it's happening in a cafeteria, if it's happening at the beach, happening in a home, in a park, it's okay. It's the gospel being proclaimed. It's Christ being proclaimed. If so, we rejoice. You see, Paul is doing this thing, and we, sometimes, we, we might miss it. Paul is saying, you know how awesome God is? You know how powerful the gospel is? God is so awesome. The gospel is so powerful that even someone with wrong motives can speak the gospel truly, and it can still change lives. It can overcome, thank God, my sinfulness. It can overcome my pride and my selfishness. Even if I don't think, I would never try to afflict Paul. I, I'm not perfect. I'm a very imperfect vessel. And the power of God and the power of, of the gospel can overcome all of my imperfections. And by the way, all of yours too. Paul, in a roundabout way, is, is taking away all of our excuses for not sharing the gospel. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how good of a teacher or how trained you are. If you speak the truth of the gospel, it can overcome all your weaknesses and all of your imperfections. It's pretty amazing. Even with wrong motives, the gospel can go out and change lives. And that's really the question that confronts us. Like We're talking about joy and how Paul had this joy in the gospel that he had experienced and the gospel that he knew and the gospel that he had proclaimed and he had given his life to and this gave him great joy. And the question that comes back to us is how important is the gospel to us. Do, do, do we value the gospel as highly as Paul does? Do we value the gospel as highly as the gospel deserves? What has Christ done in your lives? What did he save you from? What has he blessed you with? Do we know the value, the treasure of the gospel? Are we willing to pay whatever price? Paul, what is Paul doing? Paul's given up his freedom for the gospel. He's 
given up his reputation for the gospel. He's even given up his ministry for the gospel. What he really believes God had called him to do, which was spread the gospel across the empire, he's going to fall short of that if he doesn't get out of being imprisoned. And he gives it all up. He's willing to sacrifice it all. If it means that the gospel will be, will be proclaimed in another way, it'll go forth in another way, even more powerful than what he could have done on his own, he's willing to give it up. Do we value the gospel the way Paul does? And if not, why not? Why not? It's because we don't understand the gospel. It's because we have too small of a view of the gospel that we think it's only about um, our individual relationship with Jesus Christ and that's all that it is? Is it because we're not experiencing what we should be experiencing when Jesus Christ gets a hold of our lives? Is it because we don't understand God's kingdom purpose? That what he's wanting to do is call together people from every nation to live in the way he intended us to live in peace with, without tyranny. Where we, we're, we're holy, but we're still diverse. We have unity without uniformity. Do, do we see that? Do we long for it? Because if we do, we're going to have the kind of joy that Paul has. Every time we hear the gospel being proclaimed, we're going we're gonna to have joy. Every time we hear about what missionaries are doing, every time we hear about what other churches are doing, what other groups are doing, what we're doing, we are going to rejoice. And that joy, that rejoicing, is just going to add to the joy we already have of knowing Christ. Of knowing not just what he saved us from, but the treasure that he gives to us every day that we live for him. I know some of you, some of your love for the gospel rivals that of Paul's. And that's awesome. And some of us, maybe, maybe not so much. I ask that you spend some time in our reflection and response. It's asking that question. If, if not, why not? God, help me to know more the value of the gospel, the importance of the gospel. Help me to know this joy.